Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a brief but annoying message to let you know that you could have first heard this episode nine months ago if you were a subscriber to our Iron Filing Society Patreon offering. For the price of a pint and a St. Clements each month, you can get up to four episodes a week, nine months before the rest of the world gets them. Early access to regular episodes, lots of other marvellous benefits, and there's absolutely no adverts or brief but annoying messages like this that will get right on your ticks. Find out more and subscribe now at tftimemachine.com slash ironfilings. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, this is it. This is Top Flag Time Machine, I'm Andy Hot, Dawson, pow, pow, pow. I'm Sam Nifty Delaney, so what? It's the Manchester Odyssey, and can I just say, Merry Christmas? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that might have thrown you a bit, listeners. Yeah, because, you know, it's actually uh, August, uh, or if you're listening, free to air, it's fucking, I don't know, May or something, um, but I'm Mate. holding in my hand, um, my left hand to be precise, if you need to visualise that. It's my penis, and in the other hand, a vintage <laughs> copy of Roy the Rovers. My, when, my, when I was a kid, my my dad used to sometimes, when he came and took me out for the weekend, Where's he'd take going? me, he took me to a place called Christmas Common. It's not Ooh. to do with anyone holding anyone's penis. Okay. Um... He uh, we he took me to a place called Christmas Common. I can't fucking remember where it is, but it exists. I know that much. Yeah. I might look it up and take my kids is, there for nostalgic like purposes. Beaches? <laughs> yeah, and he goes, "There's a good re- demon reset." Maybe that was him resetting his demons because he yeah. only got weekend access, you know. <laughs> and he was like taking me up for a walk on the common to talk about life. <laughs> look at the trees, Sam. Men's look things. at it. It's just been standing there for years and years. Sometimes the wind blows, sometimes the sun shines, but the tree is unflinching. <laughs> Dad, can we go to McDonald's now? No! Dad, Dad why are you crying? If we go to McDonald's now, I might be able to get that hamburger pen on a string. The thing about trees, son, is trees don't make mistakes. Men, however, <laughs> make mistakes. It <laughs> would be better if we were all day. like trees, but unfortunately it's not possible. <laughs> Trees have roots. They stay in one place. But men, sometimes they need to wander. Sometimes they stray. Men are ha- happy wanderers. Sometimes they're sad wanderers too, son. Do you understand? Well, nah, not really. <laughs> are we going to get home in time for Dukes of Hazard? <laughs> anyway, he took me up to Christmas Common for a walk sometimes. Right. And he told me, I don't know if this was a dad-style wind-up, or not, but he Ooh. told me when you're on Christmas Common and you see someone else, another fellow walker, rather Ooh. than say hello, like walkers Ooh. do, that's the thing that walkers do, isn't it? Hello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I too am walking. Yeah. I mean, cyclists do that, they nod to each other, don't they? I, I think runners yeah. do it as well. Do runners do like it? Not, I don't fucking nod at runners. I fucking do I'm it. out running. So I'm, oh, what the fuck are you nodding at me for? Me. We're both moving our limbs in a, in a vaguely well, similar way. Why? That's the thing. Yeah. Why do people do it? 
fucking weird. It's like I don't go to a restaurant, and because I'm eating in a restaurant, I look at the fellow diners and give them a little look. Like, yep, we're in the yep. same club. Food, consuming we both food, like eating. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? But walkers do. Hi, hello. Yep, I'm walking. Yeah. You're walking. I'm fucking walking. Yeah. Walking yeah. with nowhere to go. That's exactly right, mate. Yeah, walking for Don't pleasure. Don't need a destination. Yeah. Just fucking walking about, aren't I? Oh, we, we did it we, when we were in Scotland on holiday last mm. month. We walked through the woods and everyone that came across, anyone? we did say hello to everyone, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I don't know why. On Christmas Common, my dad said, if you see someone, don't mm. say hello. Everyone says Merry Christmas here. Oh, my God. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I thought, fair enough. It was the middle of summer, and obviously anything to do with Christmas when you're a kid, all year round, someone mentions Christmas. Halfway through summer, you've sort of forgotten about Christmas because you're so focused on summer. Yeah. You're like, you're not really... It's the first time anyone's mentioned Christmas in months. You're like, your ears prick up. You're like, yeah? That's that's honestly something that struck me while I was going through this issue, taking the photos to send to you and to put on the Twitter. I suddenly got really excited about Christmas. Yeah, because it's a Christmas because issue. And I thought, fucking hell, it'll be Christmas soon. It's nearly September. When you're, di- when you're in the when you're deep in the balls of summer, yeah. right? Christmas doesn't really cross your mind, and especially when you're a kid, you've got two. Well, you've got three things in a way. You've got Christmas. You've got your birthday. Mm-hmm. As long as your birthday doesn't fall in it's any Christmas. of these other you've got Christmas, your birthday, and summer. And summer, yeah. you associate with having loads of fun, running it's the about. Opposite of Christmas, isn't it? Really, getting sweaty. Summer. Playing football, being a dickhead, brilliant, right? And so you're not really thinking about it. Then suddenly someone says, I, there's a song that keeps being played on Six Music. And I'm not overly keen on the song because it's a little bit like one of those, you know, these uh, modern day English rappers who just sort of talk in a really depressed way. Right, yeah. And then the door closes and I know you're never coming back. Oh, yeah, I see yeah. you outside yeah. the chicken shop and it's raining. Yeah, that's not rapping. That. It's just reading a poem out, isn't it? Yeah, it's like it's like yeah. a, you know it's like it's like one of those fucking nationwide adverts. Yeah, <laughs> you know those patronising nationwide adverts where they yeah. just have someone reading out a fucking poem. And I'm, I'm I'm sat there thinking, what am I supposed to do with this? What I'm yeah. supposed to get a mortgage off of you because <laughs> you got a woman with a fucking <laughs> nose ring reading a, a stupid poem? Yeah, right. I think Does that so. make you more trustworthy with the money, you cunts. I haven't <laughs> forgotten 2008, fuckers. Right, it'll take more than a poem. Anyway, I uh, in this song, she does come out of a line. There's a line in it that really resonated with me. She goes, okay. she said something like, oh, when it gets hot, when the temperature rises, it just makes me feel like I'm missing out on things, right? And I thought, yeah, that's right. In the summer months, it's mm. you do have memories of like long days down the park or yeah. in someone's garden just having a great time or holidays or being in a swimming pool or on the beach, swimming in the sea, right? And you do have those memories. But summer, especially when you're a kid, is a long time. It's six weeks. And a lot of it is boring. But it's more than boring. It used to get me a bit depressed because I would feel that if the sun was out and I wasn't out doing something very vigorous and wholesome Mm -hmm. and exciting, Mm -hmm. that I was missing out and I was wasting it. Because parents tell you that. Adults tell you that a lot. It's summer. It's sunny, you should be out. You should be doing stuff, yeah. right? And you're fucking... A lot of the time, my mum be I'll be sat home having fucking spaghetti hoops on toast watching the telly. And I think I still get that now. I think it's a throwback to childhood. I think it's still mm. a feeling that I'm suddenly... Sunny days sometimes get me down because I'm... Unless I'm doing a full sunny day routine, mm. do you know what I mean? Like I'm out fucking mm. doing something that is... 
you know, su- sun- sunshine appropriate, Sun-based, you feel like yeah. you're missing out and you have a sense of guilt and sadness around mm. a sunny day. I don't know. Maybe I'd possibly get that a bit because the kids are now at a stage where they don't really want to be around me all that much to do yeah. summer activities. So we, we just have occasional days out and things. We don't do like stuff mm. every day. But I'm all right yeah. with that because then if then they're doing something else, I've got the hammock in the garden. Yeah, the so hammock. I can just get it in the hammock. Maybe if I, if I should if just think. If there's a sunny day and I'm not in the hammock, if I've got indoor stuff to do or admin yeah. or things that I can't do in the hammock, like editing a podcast... Then yeah. I'm slightly pissed off because I'm exactly. not Exactly, that's sort of what I'm talking about. Yeah. Anything where you're confined, you know. Mm. But it's good when you when you have kids, and especially when they're young, you can do summery stuff because they want to, and you're better off having them outdoors, you know. Yeah. Um, but there is a, I think, between your own childhood and having kids of your own, it can be tough. I remember in my twenties, I was always living in flats. I lived in a yeah. flat above a fucking KFC once for a few years. Right. And I remember when it got really sunny, I'd sort of like, you know, you don't have much money, right? You don't have, you can't just, I don't know. And I was living in a very, like now where I live, there's a lot of green open space in the river, but I was living in like sort of inner city flat above a KFC mm. and the fucking smell of it would become more pungent and sort of oppressive in the yeah. hot weather. Right, so it, the, the flat would start to smell of fried chicken and you'd be looking out the window and people seemed to be having fun, but you wouldn't know what to do or where to go. Or, But you'd think, yeah. I should be doing something. I should be mm. I should be in the park having playing frisbee or having a water mm. fight. But in fact, you just fucking sat at home. So you didn't know now, what to do. Nowadays, can I just ask, nowadays, if you walk past the KFC, what do you feel when you Not smell good. that smell? Not good. Nah. I never went there either, and I wasn't vegetarian at the time. My missus mm. was, but I wasn't. But it just put it sort of puts you off it for life, really. Mm. Oh, was this you? You lived above this flat with your good wife. This was this... with my good wife when she was right. just my good girlfriend. Right. So not a childhood flat, right? No, um, no, no, not what, a childhood what... flat. I'm saying in my twenties, like when you don't have. Then when you have kids, I had kids, I moved to an area of more open space. And whenever it's sunshine, there's a reason. You kind of get out and you can just go to the park mm. and hang around there. But, you know, when, you, when you're when you a young man and you don't have kids, you're not going to go to the wreck on your own. On your own. And it's hang not around. Good. No, it's not good. It's work. weird. Yeah. Do you, um, um, are we back at Christmas Common? Uh, was there anything else? Christmas Common. There just, to to get, just to get back to that, I would say... My dad told me you've got to say Merry Christmas and I just remember saying oh, yeah. Merry Christmas to quite a lot of adults because I found the whole idea exciting. And some of them said Merry Christmas back, but the majority just looked at me quizzically <laughs> as if to say, you what, you cunt? I bet some of them were just walking. They didn't know they yeah. were on Christmas Common. Yeah. So maybe it was okay. a wind-up by my dad. But if anyone knows Christmas Common and knows if that's the protocol, get in touch or don't. Maybe, it's fine if you don't. I mean, it's curious that you don't remember where it was. Maybe Christmas Common never existed. It just existed in your mind. Uh, I'm just going to look it up. Hang on. Well, maybe it wasn't called Christmas Common and he just told you that it was. don't know. He was just taking me to a really shit place, but he wanted to make it sound Did good. The, yeah, we're going on a little yeah. day trip, son. What's this patch of grass? Oh, no, it's quite famous. It's a common. It's not a park. It's a common. Oh, yeah, what's it called? Um, what do kids like? Uh, Christmas common. Because here, it's Christmas every day. Oh, great. Fucking dressing it up, isn't he? Fucking hell. It's in Oxfordshire. Oh, you Christmas found, common is a hamlet. 
Right. It's a Hamlet, mate. It's a whole fucking oh, Hamlet. That's good. Hamlet is is a word for like a tiny village. So maybe that's where we were. I don't know. But oh, yeah, was, we were walking I, around Christmas. I'm Common. so relieved that you found out that it's real. I didn't want it to not be real. Oh, thank God. I might text my dad about it. <laughs> anyway. If I ever text my dad and I think nostalgic like that, he'll just mm. feign ignorance just because he's <laughs> a bit of a cunt. Because I'll try, I'll get, if I ever get a bit dewy eyed, he goes, Remember, Dad, when you used to pick me up and we go to Christmas Common? And I'll get a text 24 hours later if I'm lucky to get a reply at all, which is rare, and it'll just say, No. <laughs> <laughs> What is it we used to say on this podcast? You can't go back. You can't, you can't go, go back. back. No, I fucking don't. Who, who is this? New number, who this? I look forward only. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is what he's like. I'll anyway, tell you about I'm... when his work colleague died, who used to be his business partner. And we went, mm. and we went oh, it's a shame, but I won't say the bloke's name, but he was a nice guy. You know, me and my brothers had yeah. known him, obviously, because he was my dad's business partner for many years. And this was years after they'd stopped being working together. But I think they still saw each other once in a while. We went, it's a mm. shame about him dying, isn't he? Isn't it? And my dad said something really dismissive, like, I, I suppose, right? And we were like... <laughs> Fucking hell, Dad. Like, he used to be close. He went, no, no, he's playing it down. No, we were never close. And I think this is what old people sometimes do about death when they realise their own contemporaries are dying. Yeah. They get freaked out, so they almost dismiss it a bit. Mm. And we went, but you will go to his funeral, won't you? And he went, yes, if he has one. (laughs) (laughs) What what, what do you mean if he has one? Of course he's going to have a fucking funeral. And he went, well, well how do you know? And we went, well, he went, do well, you know? Have you spoken to the family? I went, no, but he's going to have a funeral. Why? Well, everyone does. Do they? I don't think that's true. He might just get one of those pauper's graves and yeah. bury him with no one there. Yes, if he has oh, one. Oh, man. Fucking hell. A lot of fucking unpack there, I think. I know. Um, anyway, I have in my left hand a copy of the 1982 Christmas issue of Row the Rovers and across the top it says a Merry Christmas to all our readers in what looks slightly like Christmassy sort of writing uh, on the Roy of the Rovers logo itself yeah. there's some snow snow capped uh, lettering love snow capped lettering Christmas absolutely love it and on the front cover we've got uh, Roy but it's not the Roy that we normally have this is humanised Roy who sometimes appears in photo stories I don't think we've ever covered one of these on the podcast before but they sometimes, if Roy has to interact with humans in the real world, they'll be like um, either a cardboard cutout of Roy or what we have here, which is a human. You can see the hand, the right hand of the human. Mm. Um, and there's uh, a cartoon Roy face, which has been superimposed onto him. He's wearing a big Santa outfit with the hood up. With the white yeah. fur trimmed it, hood. It's bizarre. He's sort of like he's like a Star Wars character. He's a hybrid because his his body is human. His clothes yep. are that of the fictional character Father Christmas. Yep. And his face is illustrated. It's mm. quite spooky. Yeah. Um Go on, describe the rest it's, of it because there's a detail I want to talk about. Um, right. Well, Roy is holding up um, a green sack, which is essentially a male sack that you would get. Yeah. In a large corporation. Um, looks pretty cheap, doesn't it? Like it they haven't really gone and cheap. got a proper Santa's check. No it looks like it's a bit like a garden refuse sack. Yeah. So on the day of the shoot, they've gone, right, where's the sack? Oh fucking hell, we haven't got one. <laughs> Nip up to Robert Dias and just get what you can find. 
it's very much not um, a Christmas sack of any kind. Um, and inside the sack is Suzanne Dando. And she is emerging from the sack. Uh, she's got in uh, one hand uh, one of those blue plastic bowler hats that's got uh, what's white with blue diamonds on it, which is meant Again, to suggest... Again, doesn't scream Christmas at it's all. It's just meant to suggest good times and festivities, isn't it? It doesn't. It's not This Christmas is the most thrown-together photo shoot ever. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and her, her right hand is just kind of outwards with palm outstretched in a sort of ta-da kind of gesture. Yeah. And she's got a big smile it's on her me. face. Yeah, so it was our dad, though, from off the, off the gymnastics on the telly. Why? Don't ask me. My agent called it. was a last-minute thing. They were offering cash, and I didn't quid. have much on. So <laughs> around the corner. I thought, fuck it. But it makes Here as I little am. sense to me as it does to you. However, I am a professional, so as you can see, I'm giving this my all. Tits and teeth. The um, <laughs> right behind her is a very small Christmas tree with some baubles and tinsel on it, and really underneath the tree one. is in the darkness uh, a copy of the latest 1983 Roy the Rovers annual, which is meant to be product placement, I think. Uh, and then right in the bottom right-hand corner of the page is a box of Christmas crackers that hasn't even been fucking opened. So what this makes is- me think of is, <laughs> I, 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 you know, this is fascinating to me because this was a, a, this sold a lot. I don't know how many it was selling in this era, but I would guess a lot. It was one of the big publishing yeah. sort of brands, right? Oh, it was huge, yeah. So they wouldn't have been short on, of cash, and it was relatively low overhead, right? Because it's not—it's a comic, so you're paying the illustrators, but you're not paying an army of photographers and all the costs that goes with them, and yeah, all of the rest of it, right? And travel and all that stuff. Jalapeno. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Jalapeño. So they thought, right, we've got to do something special for Christmas. So someone, fuck knows how, they've worked down a list of celebrities that they thought would be good. Yeah. And they've ended up with Suzanne Dando, who may well at that time have been in the sort of one of the top celebs you could get. I don't know. Right. But mm. it seems peculiar. Mm. But if, she if was, you look- no, She was quite a big deal, I think. She, she'd won. Yeah. Commonwealth Games medals and stuff. And I think she was. Yeah, okay. she, she, she'd always crop up on kids' TV, I remember. All um, right, but let's say who, who's a famous, who's a famous like British athlete well, of the D- moment. Daley Thompson female. probably would have been. Well, Br- Daley Thompson would have been in this era. I, I see that to me. I don't. Anyway, look, it's fine, but I just think I don't quite see the relevance. I don't see why they thought she's the perfect. If we like, if they're gonna do something different on the cover. You would think they would only do that if they had. Oh, well, we've got Kevin Keegan. Yeah, you know but I mean? the thing is, it ties in with the damsel in distress story that we get to in the next episode, which is in there. So there's got to be a woman. So that immediately narrows the field. Sarah Green obviously wasn't going to do it. It probably had to be somebody if sporty. She, if she, Blue Peter, the BBC are very strict. It's really hard to book people who are contracted to the BBC. So, yeah. So who are you looking at? You're looking at Suzanne Dando, you're looking at Tessa Sanderson, Fatima Whitbread, or <laughs> Sharon Davies. And I can't think of any but other what, female. Why athletes does it have to be a female athlete? 
Well, it's got to be a woman, hasn't it? And it's Roy of the Rovers. It's right. a comic, so it's got to be. It's got to be someone sporty, I guess. So, well, are we overthinking this? Photograph. This? It's really cheap. It's badly lit, and I just can't help thinking, like you know, from publishing perspective, I sort of think, why would they invest so little? They've gone out their way to book Suzanne Dana. That's decent, but they've done it. They've thrown it together, and even the props are so like they're like you say, they're not even very Christmassy, right? You can't Ooh. see the annual. They've placed that as a marketing exercise, but then they haven't bothered to like probably. Now, <laughs> this was published by IPC, which, as I mentioned before, I used to work at uh, early mm-hmm. in my career. And IPC then um, was based in a big tower on the South Bank called King's Reach Tower, right? Yeah. Now, there was all sorts of different magazines and comics published there, and all of them, of course, used different photographers, depending on what their you know style mm. was and blah, blah, blah. However... There was a legendary bloke whose name I can't fucking remember who had a studio inside IPC. So he was right. the in-house photographer. But you use that, if not for like, you would never dream of using it for something like a celebrity or a cover. That was like, cool. say if you had products, like in the sort of magazines I worked on, which were like men's lifestyle magazines. If you had products, like you were doing, yeah. I don't know, fucking five good cameras or whatever, right? Yeah. You'd just get them. And then you'd go down to the basement and there was this old man, right, who had a fag constantly on the go indoors in his little studio. And he looked like he'd been in this basement studio that he'd set up for, like, time immemorial, right? You'd go down there. And when I was quite a young journalist, I would be scared going down there, right? Because you'd walk in and he'd go, yeah. And you could you photograph these cameras, please? And the thing is, he made no concessions to Mm. even pretend to be remotely professional, It'd go, right, yeah. stick it there. And you'd stick it on a table. And snap, it'd turn snap, snap. on what was effectively a bedside <laughs> lamp. And it'd go, snap, there you go, fuck off. Or One snap. go, like, your not photos. Even... I'll send the photos at me in a couple of days, but don't rush me. Not, not even snap, snap, snap. Just one snap. Snap, that's all you're getting. I'm not wasting more than one snap, right? <laughs> so this bloke was famous, and it'd be a joke. You go, oh, fucking hell, I'm going to have to go down to the basement and get it done, i.e., I know it's going to be shit, but we haven't yeah. got budget to do it another way. We haven't got time to do it another way. One time, we had to have our sales photograph for something or other. I can't remember what it was, but all the writers on the mag, we'd all participated in some sort of test, and so we needed mug shots of all of us. So we went down there, about four of us, and my mate Mike, who was the other writer who, was, who I was mates with, I, he was older than me, and I was Ooh. like, oh, I don't like this bloke going down there, he's always really rude. And Mike's going, <laughs> no, no, he's fine, he's fine, don't worry, he's, he's, he's a good bloke, really, he's just a bit old-fashioned, you know. I went, no, he's really, he's, he's always rude to me, I don't know why he don't like me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we all go down there, and he goes, right, you all need mugshots, do you? Fair enough, right, who's up first? Yeah. So my mate Line Mike up. goes up, and he goes, here you go, Mike, snaps that, nice one. Very good. Who's next? The next bloke goes up. And he's nice to all of them. Yeah. I get up and he goes, here he is, cunt of the month. <laughs> and I'm like, they go, what? Why am I cunt of the month? And of course, the, he just shrugs as if to say, well, yeah. if you don't know, you've got a real problem. <laughs> and of course, all my colleagues are fucking pissing themselves. I'm the youngest, right? So of course, after that, it fucking sticks, cunt of the month, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and <laughs> fish cake and cut of the month. Well, it was more like, in a way, 
he, it wasn't. I wasn't always called cunt of the month. But if I, if anyone ever mentioned that photographer or going down to that photographer, particularly yeah. me going down, they'd always go, yeah. "You know what? We're going to have to get cunt of the month to do this." And then, of course, it'd always be send Sam down, send yeah. Sam down. Brilliant, cunt of the month. And he, you know what? He'd have sexy. Um, he'd have those sort of topless calendars up on the wall, yeah. like you had in like when you go to the mechanics or something like that. Yeah. But this was in a large media corporation and I it mean, wasn't IPC just us. IPC was huge. IPC yeah, was Yeah, it'd be like Marie Claire and magazines yeah. like that. and uh, Not L, but, you know, sort of well-known women's magazines or like Country yeah, Home yeah. or Horse and Hound, mm. all of those fuckers. They were all there, right? So it, mm. we were the like least of it. We were like scruff bags from a men's mag. We'd mm. go down there and, and even we'd be a bit like, fucking hell, this is a bit rough around the edges. Fuck knows what the, the fashion people from bloody Marie Claire or the posh cunts from Horse and Hound thought when they went yeah. down there. Maybe put on a few more airs and graces for them. I don't know. But I'm yeah. looking at this shot and how crap it is. And the first thing I'm thinking when I'm looking at this is I know who fucking shot <laughs> that. Know, it that was cunt of the month. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you remember the first time you ever went to IPC, to King's Reach Tower? I do, actually, very, very vividly, yeah. Because I'd been yeah. writing to them for um, when I was a student, because it was NME mm. loaded, Melody Maker were all where there. Did you go for, where did you go? What was your first visit? Well, I went for a, an interview because I was working at Men's Health and the editor left and he went to IPC to start a new mag. And after he'd been there a couple of months, he rang up and said, do you want to come and join this new mag? And I was like, fuck yeah. Largely because it was IPC. I mean, mostly because of the, yeah. the editor, who's a yeah. great guy, but also... I thought, fucking hell, this is the big leagues. Men's Health was quite boring and published by an American <clears> company. So I was like, yeah. And I remember feeling like so excited, like when you're young, it all feels like, mm. you know, suddenly you're in the adult world. Because in my lunch break, I left Men's Health, which was in the West End, and I got in a cab, a black cab. Whoa. Because in my mind, I'd immediately elevated myself to a status of like a sought after young gunslinger, right? A mover and a shaker like, in the media Suddenly world. I was in a movie. I was like, oh. I'm just going out for lunch to my bosses at Men's Health. I'm like, ah, yeah. if only they knew. So I've spent half a week's fucking wages on a black cab <laughs> to our IPC. King's Reach Tower, please, my man. Yeah. I don't fucking got the in a cab, pulled up outside the reception of the fucking place, went in and was met by a bloke called Alan Lewis, who was a legend who recently passed away. Right, mm. legend of publishing. Yep. He became the editorial director there, so he would have been like a boss. Of, but he'd been editor of Sounds, Melody yeah. Maker, oversaw NME, and my favourite thing about him was he get yeah, uncut. One of my favourite things about him is he invented the magazine Kerrang, and I said mm. to him, "Why did you call it Kerrang?" And he went, "Well, that's the sound a guitar makes." Yeah. And I said, oh, yeah. And he went, yeah, everyone's sitting around. We were launching a, a magazine about heavy rock. And everyone's going, let's call it Metal Hammer or let's call it this or that. And I said, just call it Kerrang. That's the sound a fucking guitar makes. Anyway, he took me for a, he took me for a few pints at the pub across the street, which you all have been to because it's where Talk Sport is. Um, yeah. And it's still there. It's, I think it's called the Mad Hatter or is it Mad Hatter? Anyway, it's on that main corner. road. Yeah, he took me across there and we had several pints and he just asked me about what magazines I liked. Best yeah. job interview ever. Just sat yeah. there talking about magazines. At the end, you just see, it was like, yeah, he seemed like a nice enough bloke. When can you start? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember my, my first one was visiting the NME because I'd been writing some stuff for the Thrills page remotely from up here. Yeah. 
while I was still working at our price. And the the Johnny Cigarettes, who's the oh, enemy writer, who, yeah. was, who was editing the Thrills page, he, he said, if you're ever in London, you know, give us a shout, pop in. So I deliberately just organised a trip yeah. to London in order to be able yeah. to do this, you know, to go into the NMA yeah. and to meet this fucking journalist yeah. and everything. So uh, still still working at our price at the time. So I went down and met Johnny and went up in the lift to the NMA office. Cause I, I mean, you're talking about all the magazines that were at IPC. The NMA was on the 25th or the 26th floor. Yeah. Melody Maker was yeah, on yeah. the floor next to it. So that that's it was a huge tower. So there was so many oh, different yeah. fucking massive magazines working Yeah, and there was there. a big canteen there where everyone went. It was a melting pot of all these different magazines every lunchtime. Yeah. Yeah. So there'd be all the weird music journalists who look like indie kids in one corner. And then there'd be like the lad mags in another. Then there'd be all these fashion ladies. And yeah. then there'd be all these toffs. It'd be fucking weird. <laughs> and then it had magazines like Cajun Avery Bird. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Literally. <laughs> so I went into this. I went, went down to meet me, Johnny. Obviously, I was petrified. You know, I didn't mm. exist in the media world. I was just writing these bits of shit for the NME that were getting used. Um, it was kind of like when I met Ali McCoyst when I was 10 and I just didn't know what to fucking say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I've got this guided tour around the NME office and you've got all these fucking hungover hacks sitting around at their desks, tapping out things on typewriters and yeah. smoking and all this kind of thing. But I was just completely starstruck because I'd grown up yeah. loving magazines and the idea afar, of being yeah. in the, the office of a big magazine that I, I worshipped was just yeah. fucking mind-blowing. So yeah. I got the tour and then Johnny took me kind of around the corner into like a side office and he went, and this is the Vox office, because uh, Vox magazine was the enemy's monthly offshoot kind of thing. Yeah, this yeah. is the Vox office, he said. And he pointed to one man sitting behind a desk in the corner, and it was Alan Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> that was Vox. <laughs> and he just kind of went, <laughs> There was a, there was a, um, when we start, when I started, there was a, a building next to the tower where Loaded and Marie Claire were, and yeah. Music magazine. And we like were in development when yeah. we first started there. And it was just me, the editor, Phil, Alan Lewis, and this fucking mad art director called Ooh. Steve Reed, who'd been at Loaded, who, who was very mad. He looked like Desperate Dan, right? <laughs> and he and I, I sat there like shtum, just writing. We were developing yeah. a magazine. I was like really was young. This, 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 this will have been later magazine, was it? This would have been later magazine, yeah. yeah. And I just kept my head down, wrote, and barely spoke, right? And the editor, Phil, was in and out all the time at meetings. And Alan was there sort of in the capacity of overseeing us, but it wasn't quite clear what he was doing, right? Mm. Someone said he was like a cross between John Peel and Des Lynham, which is quite right. a good description. But he was absolute fucking genius and lovely bloke. But he did like a beer at lunchtime, right? Yeah. And he'd always go across to that pub and have what I understand to be three or four pints at lunchtime, yeah. right? That was the dumb and, thing, though, wasn't it, back then? Yeah, it, it was. And he, But I very much wasn't doing that because I was a young buck and didn't even want to... I thought it was really important for me not to be seen to be getting pissed and stuff. Yeah. So he would sometimes go on his own. He would come back and his art director, who I was pretty terrified of, he was so grumpy as soon as he came back from the pub regular as clockwork and we were all in this room together and it was just all silently i'd be watching and taking it all in and as soon as alan nurse came back from the pub and he'd always do that thing of leaving his jacket on the back of the chair to tell anyone who came by i'm still here but they knew where he was he came back and the moment his ass touched the chair the art director would get up and go alan can you uh lend me a tenner 
right? <laughs> so only till tomorrow. And Alan's would go, oh, of, of course, of course, dear boy, like that. And he'd rummage around this wallet and he'd lend this art director a tenner. And then te- the art director would just disappear pretty much the rest of the day to spend this tenner. <laughs> and then the next day he'd do the same fucking thing again. And right. I realised that he was doing it because he knew that if he caught him straight after his lunchtime session, he would never remember the next day about the tenner. Yeah. <laughs> so I saw over a matter of weeks, he was having 50 quid out of him a week. Every week. And he never fucking remembered. And I got into a bit of a dilemma thinking, should I tell this guy? Look, just so you know, this geezer, I've seen him, uh, since I've been here, I've seen him take 500 notes off you, mate. <laughs> but I never had the bottle. Because he did things like he, um, this art director, he'd be there and he'd be smoking a fag at his desk. And then like he chucked the fag end across the room into the bin of the editor mm. who was sat at his desk, my mate Phil, and the bin caught fire. Fucking and up. the art director, and I'm sitting there again, little kids sort of watching it all play out, and the art director's just gone, Phil, your bin's on fire, without <laughs> looking away from his computer, right? <laughs> this is the editor, and the editor's gone, what? Sorry, what's that? So you go, your bin's <laughs> on fire, mate. And he went, oh, fucking hell, so it is! <laughs> How did that happen? He goes, I don't know. You better put it out, though. And he'd be like fucking stamping in the bin. And again, I didn't want to be a little Lampard stitch. He goes, actually, Phil, it was him who started it with his cigarette. I saw him do it. I think it was deliberate. Fucking legend. He's either nicking money off the editorial director or setting fire to the fucking editor's bin. Oh, man. So, yeah, IPC, King's Reach Tower, fantastic. A great place, and that's yeah. where this cover was taken. Yeah, um, and that's all we've got time for on this episode. We've, we've done the cover. <laughs> Bit of an indulgent one, one about the, the magazine business there, but interesting yeah. things. I mean, that that uh, that King's Reach Tower, all sorts of stuff went on there, some of it quite mm. culturally significant, right, Yeah. over the decades, and it was really interesting place. I worked there for about five years, and it was like a fascinating place to work. Mm. Well, that and, was it. Um, I mean, a that, lot went I, down. I, I was I was fucking overawed by going there because magazines such as Roy the Rovers when I was a kid going right up through everything else. Yeah, um, and um, a, a shoot magazine, there, you know. Yeah, yeah, ninety minutes magazine. So you know, because because all the football well, ones, little, the little comic and magazine nerd when I was a kid. Of course, you read all the small print and the credits yeah. and everything. You want to know yeah. where all this is going on. And what it's all about. So yeah, it was a massive. It's a shame, is it? Now it, the, the tower's still there, but I don't know what the fuck's in it now. They'll knock it down at some yeah, point. But I've been there for like years. They got a swishy building. Then yeah. that got bought by timing. And unfortunately, magazines are fucked. Enemy's not even owned by it anymore. Enemy's yeah. owned by some geezer from some some rich kid from Singapore who just yeah, bought it on a whim. Yeah. Mad, isn't it? Yeah, there's just some bullshit in that building now. I think I don't know, but um, there we go. Uh, things change and you can't go back you can't go back like we always say we've come full circle you cannot go back you can't go back I'm going to text my dad dad do you remember King's Reach Tower home of IPC no never happened fuck off (laughs) (laughs) you can't go back we're not going back we're only going forward and you know as this episode's proven there's no rush we're not in any hurry so we'll get round to the next part of uh, the Christmas Royal of the Rovers 1982 next week. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.